This episode is brought to you by Allstate. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings vary and are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Does Anthony Davis fix the Lakers? Was Grace Nowen punished enough? Will the Sixers waste a year of Embiid's prime? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown live show. Uh, as always, coming at you, I guess not always, but Tuesdays, we're trying this out at uh, 5-ish uh, Pacific time, 8-ish uh, Eastern. We, uh, as always, I'm joined by Andrew Combo Salop. Andrew, how's it go, my man? All is well. How are you, Coach Nick? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I just kind of like uh, trying to keep organized here, keep my head down, uh, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with Anthony Davis, uh, figure out Grace Nallen. I, I was a little cheeky today on Twitter with Grace Nallen, and um, I had to mute it, uh, <laughs> mute that tweet and that conversation. Didn't go over so well because I don't know. I was having lunch with a buddy of mine, and we were just kind of, you know, we were always talking about NBA and 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 cracking wise. And he was, and it was his idea. I thought it was a good tweet. I said, you know, we should. Grayson Allen should be suspended for the exact same game, number of games as Anthony, as Anthony, uh, as Alex Caruso is out uh, injured with his broken wrist or whatever. Um, let's just say people in Wisconsin were not so happy with that that uh, that take at all. Do you feel that should matter the result of a foul? And okay, penalty. So okay, now is, of course you could have asked me that before I set the tweet out because right, what if the guy does that? It's equally dirty, but nothing happens to him like we saw with um, somebody else, which we'll talk about in a second. Um, it, it, right, you can't base it on what the injury is, you know. I, but I do think it was ridiculous. I do think that the the uh, what Grayson Allen ended up doing at the end was so much more of a of a attempt to look like you know hurt him. That uh, you know, just seemed like something needs to be done. And, and granted, one game suspension is probably fine, uh, but there just seems to be a little bit of a history here with him. Yes. Um, and, yeah, and so you have to thing. wonder, you know. And and I'm not talking about hey, be cool, man. Like don't play hard. You know, we're just talking about you have to be much smarter than that. Now, did you see the tweet I had released a couple nights ago about LeBron and his play on um, with um, Jalen Suggs going up in the air? Tell me no. more. So Jalen Suggs goes up uh, off two feet uh, and was going to just posterize them. Uh, Taylor Horton Tucker comes over from the weak side and gets up with him and all sorts of contact in the head, neck, chest area. So he it looks it looks awful. I don't know how he got up from that, but he lands all like you know prone, you know from way up. And he's a, you know he can really get up. So when I looked at it again as on the replay, what you see is LeBron underneath, give him a shove while he is completely up in the air, completely exposed. So I pointed this out, and I kind of pointed it out, not necessarily to roast LeBron specifically. It didn't really necessarily matter who it was. I pointed it out because I wanted to make sure like people understand whatever, whatever level you're playing at, that's bad. You cannot afford to shove somebody, even if it's light, uh, while they're in midair. Uh, yeah, and that was the teaching moment I thought would be good. Uh, and, it, and it got around. People responded to it, but... Um, I, you know, it, it's troubling. You, do you, are you familiar with that? And when, if you're being in the air and, and getting some kind of contact, yeah. that can really cause havoc. Yeah, it, it's the worst. It usually happens with players that can't really play basketball. Like 
you know, players that actually play basketball, they're not going to do that to you for the most part. If you're, especially if you're in front of them, they'll never push you while in the air. It's a code, you know, and you know not to do things like that. Right. You know, it kind of, it's weird. Here's a, here's a story from my past. Uh, the first coaching job I had was at my old grammar school. And I went back there at, you know, right out of college. And, you know, I didn't know anybody there. The coach was not the same at all. He was just some like some PE teacher who was a, just a real annoying, whatever. Ben, if you're out there, you were, you're just, you were an awful coach and a really annoying person. And uh, just kind of like he was a guy who probably played a little bit of basketball, but had no idea about the game. And I'm coming in there. You know, I was helping. I was volunteering. I had, you know, just spent a couple of years at a D1 program learning how to coach. But uh, I remember the point guard uh, on our team gets gets stripped at half court. So the okay. other kid's going down. He's going to lay it in. And I hear the coach next to me, the head coach next to me, scream out, foul him. <sighs> and, I mean, he's behind him completely, right? It's a total breakaway layup. And so I turned to him quietly. I didn't yell. I didn't say it out loud for everyone else here. I said, you, you can't do that. And he got up and started screaming and yelling and tried to, like, force me to go sit at the end of the bench or all this kind of stuff. It was ridiculous. And the reason why is because you know you've seen that, especially at the eighth. This is an eighth grade game. You know the kid's just going to shove him in the back while he's yeah. up in the air. He's going to land into the in the cinder block wall with stitches or whatever. So yeah. um, you know, I so I, you know I feel strongly about that. And if you're an assistant coach and you you're a part of that, you know you're well within your bounds to tell somebody, tell the head coach, you can't do that and understand why. So anyway, um, I mean a push a push know. or a wrap is no good from behind. I think they could both lead to injury. Like just fouling from behind is not it. Like maybe going to board the basketball off the glass, if you're that type of player, is fine and getting a foul like that. But yeah. besides that, I mean, nothing good could happen. Um, did you see uh, Andrew Bogut and uh, Mari Stoudemire were kind of getting at it on Twitter? It's weird. I don't often spend a lot of time in the in the in the scrolling in the feed, but. No, so so Amari Sotomayor comes out yelling at Grayson Allen for what he did, right? And I think we, I mean, we can all agree he he was wrong, and whatever the the penalty should be is whatever. But um, you know, Andrew Bogut, uh, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Amari Sotomayor demanded more than one game, and there's no no place for this. Well, do you? I don't. I didn't remember this, but do you remember Andrew Bogut's injury when he was in the in the full court and landed on his arm and like just mangled his arm and was out for like a year? Do you remember that? I don't remember that. Like I had remembered it, but I didn't forgot what the circumstances were. Do you know who gave him a little bit of a shove from behind while he was up there at the rim? Amari Stoudemire. Amari. Yeah, and so mm -hmm. Bogut was like, "Why don't you sit this one out?" And he he has another good point. So we we're getting some 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 chippiness on Twitter here uh, with a lot of different people. Uh, and Bogut, for however much you want to uh, enjoy uh, his his viewpoints these days, which are troublesome to say the least uh at the very least he was right and he made a really good point about that and um either way uh it's interesting but i think it's that code you're talking about too especially at the nba level when there's you know so much at stake with your families yeah. and your your life your whole life is there uh to get injured on something like that there's just no place for that anymore ironically growing up for me i mean that was not that was nothing like you guys would throw down and try and get in fights and push and injure each other it looked like I mean, it could change the trajectory of somebody's career doing something like that. Like they could be out for a year. They never come back the same. Their whole life changes, you know, so that's why you don't do things like that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, let's uh, let's get into some of the things about YouTube before I get too long into the show is if you want to come on and talk to us, you can. The link is in the description below. Uh, maybe I'll even throw the link into the uh, comments, too, so you see it there. But we definitely want to hear from you. And if you want your comments to get noticed and we can address them and answer your questions, the best way to do that is to do the Super Chat. And that will get our attention and a much big shout outs. So we'll put your, your uh, question on the screen and, and share it uh, with everybody out there. So uh, please feel free to do that. 
and um, share it on YouTube, on Twitter with everybody. Let them know you're all here so we can have a nice big conversation with people. Um, AD, you know, the title of the show was about Anthony Davis coming back, and we were treated, re- treated to a first-quarter run. He played about five or six minutes in that first quarter. Did you get a chance to check it out, Combo? Because I did really quickly. I watched a little bit. Actually, what struck me the most from the time that I was watching was the Lakers' ball movement was looking a little bit better. They were playing a little bit faster, um, a little bit more like a modern-looking style. Uh, it looked a little bit better today from what I was watching. Yeah, and like Russ, did Russ look better? Did he kind of finish? He finished one, but he missed another layup, and that was in con, you know, in uh, in the same way, and like in all this sort of um, traffic in, in the inside, which he just forces stuff up. But uh, but as far as Anthony Davis goes, he looked amazing. He comes yeah. out and blocks, uh, you know, Harden a couple times. See, all of a sudden, like the defense they didn't have at all is, you know, he well. It, it's still not there, but he is back there to like cover up for all that stuff. And that was great to see. I think it was at least two blocks. Um, they had now you to start the game. That was like, Whoa, like where, where have you been this whole time from uh, LeBron to, to him, which we, you know, we'd seen, you know, endless times the last three years anyway. So um, it was, I, I, it was a really nice shot in the arm. The problem though, is that when you look at the score, even though they had this jolt of energy and he was playing well, he must've made, you know, eight great plays in five minutes. They were still losing, or it was tied, and and this is a this is a team they're playing, the Nets team that only has James Harden right now. So that's another interesting issue. Let's check on the score real quick while we're talking because I'm curious. Uh, Lakers actually, are up, yeah, Lakers yeah. are up nine. They're up nine and a half. So they were able to take control in that second half, which is interesting because I, I wonder Anthony Davis ended up playing. Um, let's see how many minutes does he have. So. He got 13 minutes, so he probably played half the second quarter. Um, so that's that's an interesting thing. So it'll be worth uh, probably a video, I guess, a quickie maybe to get out tomorrow to look at what's going on. Yeah, Malik Monk was knocking down shots, and Carmelo's impact has been really good. I mean, his stats don't look too crazy, but his yeah. impact, he hit a big three at the right moment. He made a few nice passes. Oh, my God. I Malik like Monk Carmelo... has 16 points. Oh, jeez. Um, I like what Carmelo. I like what Carmelo is doing this year. Obviously, his defense isn't his strength, but he's trying. He's communicating. Yeah, you know. In the video I did on Sunday, so I dropped a really big one. What's wrong with the Lakers? Which I might have to do an apology for at this point if they turn it around. But um, it was the defense was really. I mean, listen, I showed the Russ stuff. I went. I actually had a really cool segment. I really enjoyed even doing was Russ's bank shots and explaining why he's so off with them. And um, and then I used Tim Duncan. Like, here's how. Here's how the best bank shot guy in the modern era made them. And then here's what Russ is trying to do and basically is making them impossible to make. You cannot, there almost is no, when I say zero margin for error, there's almost like zero possibility of the shot going in when he shoots that much arc on a 16 footer from the wing. Like there's nothing you can do to make that shot go in as far as I can tell. Maybe you hit the one half inch area on the board that you could get in there. But other than that, like, you know, if you're off by more than that, you're going to miss and it's going to miss wildly. Um, but the defense was a real issue and playing Mello at the five was a real issue. Now that gets cleared up if they're going to try and do that when they have AD in there, because now AD will play the five. But what was frustrating to me, I guess we're going to, you know, another LeBron thing is LeBron is out there, but he's not playing the five on defense. He's making Mello do it every, almost every single time. That's just not fair to Mello. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, what are they going to do when they play like, the Nuggets or teams with real bigs, you know, it's going to be tough for them. So, well, that too. But it's like Melo is never going to be a drop, drop, pick and roll five guy. Right. You know, he didn't and, do it his whole Levert, career. He's just, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Levert's like just going right at him and, just, and hitting acrobatic shots or layups, or whatever. It's like he, you can see it in his face. 
which a lot of Syracuse players end up when they get in the league, they all have that face because they never played man to man, and all of a sudden they have to try and stop people. But um, it's just not fair. He's, you know, and and me, but again, it's not fair in the sense that they already have a guy much better suited to play that position next to him on the court, and he won't do it for whatever reason. Yeah, um, you're basically saying that Carmelo is going to have big problems trying to anchor a defense. Right. You know, yeah. and, and and I'm also I'm also calling out LeBron. I'm saying LeBron, that you should be playing that position now. Even in this first quarter against the Nets, we saw LeBron. He has no interest in contesting anything around the rim. It's just he just doesn't. He doesn't want to get hurt, or doesn't want to expend too much energy. And then I don't know yeah, exactly that, what the root of it is, but that's, um, he that's won't close that's out. Load management. That's load management. I mean, he is averaging 29 a game right now, and yeah, he's probably saving but, a lot of it for the offensive side, right? Yeah, but the other thing is I want to see, and it's a sort of a thing. It's like they're going to wear the guy out. Is he still averaging thirty-seven minutes? Let me see. He's averaging thirty, almost thirty-seven minutes a game. I mean, it's just it's preposterous that at this age that that's what they're going to do. He should be playing thirty-two, thirty-three. But again, they can't win any game without him playing thirty-seven. That's the problem they have here. Is what's going to happen in the playoffs? Well, anyway, we got we got someone wants to come on the show. We got Martin. Let's bring him on and see what he has to say. Um, Martin, what's up, my what's man? Up? I'm good, Coach. I want to talk about free throws. Okay. Um, what do you think about Russell Westbrook's free throw mechanics? Because his first like nine seasons, he shot eighty percent, and now it dropped to like 67 percent. What do you? What's your thoughts well, on his free throw shooting? One thing that people were trying to say, which I wasn't really sold on, was that he used to be able to take so much time before free throws that that had something to do with it. You know, and maybe that is because then you know they changed the rules a little bit, so he had to kind of speed that up, and that that seemed to be an issue. I'm going to check. Yeah, he, I guess you're right. He was in the '80s for almost his whole career, and then the last one, two, last two years has been really not has been troubling. Um, you know, his rhythm has never been great, and his his uh, power calibration, you know, with the way he's when he bends and when he straightens in, in his arm and flicks the wrist into the shot, it's never really been a great synchronization of things. So. Um, I think he, I got to check, but my memory is right now, I haven't looked in a little while, that he ends up being kind of square to the basket when he shoots too. And I've always been the guy who's like, you got to turn and get your right shoulder and your right uh, wrist, uh, it's your right hip toward the basket more, which is sort of like when you see players have their right foot forward, you know, and their left foot back a little bit. That's like on the way, but I actually want your toes to be turned. And I, I think all those things would really help uh, unlock some things. Uh, Combo, do you have any feelings for this? I mean, you saw my first point. I, I think uh -oh. that was a big part of it when he wasn't allowed to walk to half court anymore and come back. I mean, that season was the season when you were no longer allowed to do that, that his free throw percentage dropped tremendously. You, you've been in situations where you played in arenas with fans and the pressure and everyone staring at you. I mean, is that routine that might have been you know so important to him for all those years? Is that, how, is that really vital to be able to make that shot? It's vital, but when we're talking about energy transfer, which is basically what you were talking about before, that's way more important, right? We don't want the ball stopping on the way up, and he has a lot of that, and that's the bigger issue. Yeah, yeah, that's another great point. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, it looks like he's kind of settled into this thing. I think I think the bigger picture with Russ, and it actually uh, applies to what I, the point I made about the bank shots, he just doesn't seem to understand when, if something's not working, nobody seems to be there to help him progress to a way where he can make it work better, right? So rather than like understand that maybe you have to shoot a lot lower arc and not when you're heavily contested on those on those bank shots, he just keeps shooting the same thing over and over again. 
And it's the same thing with the free throws. It's like he's in this thing and he keeps shooting the same way. Um, I don't think he's going to change at this point. And that's too bad because I think that there could be a lot of improvement, believe it or not, with, with Russ's game. I think believe it is easy, but um, it's been this way for a long, long time. Do you think Russ has a growth mindset or a fixed mindset? I, I mean, I, it's completely fixed and rigid and angry, <laughs> you know, um, and it, it could be frustrating. I'm working really, really hard, but it's like when you're working hard and practicing bad mechanics, you're just practicing to miss, right? Um, yeah. I can't let anyone else's voice get in my head because that might screw up my confidence. And so as a result, well, you know, no one can tell me anything. He did get to a place in the NBA where he was the MVP. He had the most triple doubles. So he feels like he doesn't want to change anything. I mean, it's somewhat understandable. I guess. Looking at, you know, that goes back farther. Remember, I did a video years ago on Russ where um, I had shown he really wasn't an elite finisher at the rim. He was impressive on the ones he did finish, but he was never elite in terms of field goal percentage. That right. was a big shocker for a lot of people. Nobody could understand uh, that Russell Westbrook, of all people, you know, wasn't this amazing elite finisher. He wasn't, he, and that was the he, case. He's never really been that great of a finisher. He 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 wasn't, but he put tremendous pressure on the rim, right? Just like how fast he got up and down the court, like that. That's a lot of gravity towards the rim. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I kind of like the ones where he, I like guys who can who make the shots. But by the way, the reason why he missed, and I would sh I showed it. Footwork was bad. Balance was bad. He's going too fast. Like all the things that you would think get ironed out over a couple of different years of being a veteran in the NBA never got ironed out. And it's like, you know, he, he it's a fixed mindset and it is a wall uh, that is as high as can be and no one's going to penetrate. So anyway, Martin, does that explain? I hope that uh, covered what you needed to what we were asking about. What do you think is the key to shooting that? The key to shooting 90% from the free throw line? Um, I, think, I mean, I, mean, I, I yeah. think the focus should be improvement, not the percentage per se, right? Like you want to focus on the things that make you better as a free throw shooter and see incremental improvement over time. Well, yeah, but but the key to shooting like, you know, all-time great is obviously you have to be able to replicate that movement over and over again in the face of muscle slack, which can occur because your mental state gets affected by the pressure of the game. And you have to be able to learn how to block that out. And everyone's different. That's the problem. There isn't a blueprint for how to because muscle slack is the is the evil, is the is the enemy of shooting. And what I mean by that is is if you let your muscles slacken to the point where now there's extra movement involved in your motion uh, and the muscles aren't engaged properly in the right sequence, you will miss shots. So you and what triggers that a lot of times is the mental state of where you are. And if you are nervous and if you allow, you know, the, the yeah. doubt to creep in, you be that's when those things happen. So things, things get tight. Things get tight. Yeah. So usually what the coaches will do is they'll just try and, you know, train free throws where people are yelling at you and you're trying to recreate some version of that pressure so you can learn how to adapt and, and maintain your muscle um uh, I'm forgetting what the opposite word of muscle slack is, but it's, you know, the, the, the mu muscle uh, relaxation. No, it's you actually want them not stiff, but you want them uh, engaged, muscle engagement properly. And that's not like you're stiff and you're so tight like Russ plays like a lot of the time, but it's it's enough to where the muscles will fire properly in the right sequence with the right amount of of energy. And yeah, that's I what think, happens. I, th I, th I think what you're saying, they did a study like they told people to sprint at 90% and they told people to sprint at 100% and the 90% people sprinted faster. Like you don't want to be totally, 
Yeah, you don't want to be. I don't know if that's the exact study, but it's something to that effect. And I think that yes, kind of what yes, you're getting it, at. That's the problem when you're talking about when you, when you coach players like to play at 120. percent You end up getting guys who are off balance and out of control. And you know, you you work. You want to go at like 85, percent and then you work to make that 85 percent faster, right? You learn a skill and you master yeah. it and you work to get that skill quicker. But if you try, like, I, this is my problem. This is why I rail against it now is I tried to play 120% and it ultimately left me uh, a much worse player. And I thought it was, I had to play harder, you know, and harder and harder, faster. You can't shoot the ball harder, right? It's like, it's like you can't yeah. do those things. I mean, when they say young players, the game is starting to slow down for them. It's actually them slowing down, you right. know? A lot yeah. of times. Yeah. So so there you go, Martin. I hope that it gave you a good example. We got some other – somebody else wants to come in. So thank you. Um, Josiah, let's bring Josiah into the screen. He's out here. Doing, how's hey. it going, man? I'm good. Continuing free throws, I'm yeah. I'm in high school, and one thing that's been working, like kind of for the bigs on my team, is shooting bank shot free throws. What are your opinions on that? I know it's kind of dumb, but like – when you're like in a game and everything's so amped up, like just hitting it off the backboard is a lot better than like them trying to like do something they don't have the skill for almost. That's fascinating. I'm fascinated. Okay. Well, here's what I'll say about that. Cause obviously you probably get a little bit more leeway on power, right? You could shoot it kind of hard a lot of the time and you would probably still be able to get it to go in. But I will say that um, if it's not really, really straight, you might be have a problem. Whereas you might get a few inches of leeway left or right on a free throw if you're shooting it straight in, right? Like that kind of feels that way to me. Whereas if you're off uh, that way, then you're really in trouble on the bank shot. To me, I think that's the case. But yeah. I don't know. Listen, I, I am that guy who's like, hey, let's look at this. Let's find out. Like maybe. But I think it's a little bit too far in, for my taste. I'd get a little bit nervous because you, you have to shoot it kind of hard, right? Yeah, but like think about it. Like with energy transfer, you don't you don't even need to like jump. You could like it's not that hard to throw it off the glass. Are you shooting because like, a nice like arc the shot like you said? It, well, like kind of what you're saying with the Tim Duncan, it's like it doesn't need to be um high arc. It just needs to hit it on the way down. Right. And by the way, the benefit of a lower arc is you have more control. That's that's what that means. Higher arc will give you a bigger target as it's dropping down. Uh, bank shot, uh, yeah, interesting, but it's certainly when you're shooting straight in, it's a bigger target, but harder to control, which is why otherwise, yeah, you'd shoot it 80 degrees up and like let it drop straight through every time, but yeah, hard to control that. Um, combo, talk to us. I mean, it just reminds me they had these true balance backboard, these true balance backboards. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Dykeman Park, it's a big tournament, summer tournament outside, but everybody would just go out there and just beam it off the backboard and they would never miss because these true bounce backboards were super, you know, they had so much yeah. give. This is what this conversation is bringing me to. But on a regular backboard, I wouldn't try it. I mean, I'd rather go straight in. Yeah. But then again, listen, Josiah, if you were, if you were going to go, if you were struggling at like 60% from the free throw line and all of a sudden you're making 80% of bank shots, who am I? I would never tell you to not do that. Right. That that's working for you. Right. Yeah. Coach, what, yeah. what are your thoughts on the underhand back uh, shot, Rick Barry? And he's actually his okay. son is doing it at a, um, really, at a really high level right now. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. think um someone on Thinking Basketball, I think he, like, went back in history and he said it's, like, a good method to get up to, like, 80%, but that's where it kind of caps out. And, like, for an NBA player, the underhand like, or the that's bank what shot? he's – 
underhand, underhand. Well, I mean, listen, well, Rick, Rick Barry did it, and he was 90-whatever. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not really sure why how he got to 80% as a number. And uh, by the way, Rick or, Barry's I, best I'm just, point I'm just it. making that up. I'm just making oh. that up. Okay. But it was like around there. He came on the show. We discussed that like a long time ago. And um, his best point that he makes is that, you know, by doing an underhand, you know, you get tired, your shoulders get tired and lifting them over your head becomes a more of a harder chore. And by keeping them, uh, you know, much more relaxed and underneath when you're doing underhand is actually easier to make like in the fourth quarter at the end of the game. That, that to me would be like Mm. almost the best, uh, you know, uh, argument to do it. And without question, um, it should be viable. They should shoot them more that way. I, I wouldn't, I mean, the only problem you have is okay. Then you have two different methods of shooting that they have to master. And that, you know, yeah. that that makes more time you have to spend to do it. But either way, um, I, I have no problem. I think it's a it's a really viable way. And, and more players, you know, if, especially if they're struggling, they should try it for sure. Yeah. I think one other topic I want to run by you, Coach, is that T- Jason Tatum, he doesn't really use the hop into the shot. And no. he always does like a one-two. Dude, like I think that's part of his shooting struggles is that he – mainly uses that one footwork well he traditionally in the last several years has been amazing off the dribble like way better than the catch and shoot which is very strange yeah. it's completely opposite for most players and he's got interesting stuff with his shoulder and the way he, he he'll drop it in to get uh the, the elbow underneath the ball and so it, it always makes me like twitch a little bit when i watch it and, and he makes a lot of those so it's like okay but yeah i've always been concerned about that and uh but with him you really got to parse out what we're talking about as far as off a dribble or catch and shoot and, and by the way which direction it's coming from from his left or from his right it's another completely different shot for everybody but for him it's even more because of that shoulder thing so uh i would probably work on that honestly the the, the, the shoulder yeah. thing that collapses in just, just seems like it's uncomfortable, and 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 he's gotten it down to some degree. But uh, I, I would be worried about that, and uh, and just his his uh, ability to sort of consistently fumble the dribble. Uh, it, it drives me nuts as well. Yeah, yeah. Quick question: My team okay. is having like a really hard time on offense this season, and my coach is like, nothing works. I was I was gonna suggest like triangle, but what are some general like things? Triangle, the pure triangle is difficult. You've got to start from the beginning of the year and whatever, build it up. Yeah. But I would say pistol. I would say you can start your offense with a dribble handoff on the wing into a ball screen. Even if you're, you know, make sure you do it on the right, on the, on the, on the, well, if it's mostly righties in your team, doing the left side so the right yeah. is coming around on the right side. I've had, I've had seventh, eighth graders be able to do that and, and really, and, and very quickly institute that offense and have them running it and getting great shots and getting downhill. Um, and that, that also is, you know, pinned down into handoff uh, as well. All of the 21 stuff. And I think Ooh. maybe if you're familiar, uh, yeah. you know, I've, I've just diagrammed and stuff like that. Maybe I'll diagram yeah. it in a minute. I, by the way, I'm yeah. going to do my diagramming again today. So remind me. Combo oh, yes. I that. love those. Cool. I'm going to. And by the way, I'm going to have a full show where all we're doing is diagramming. So stay tuned for that once a week. Nice. But remind me, combo. I'll do that in a little bit when we get that going. But uh, yeah, I would gotcha. say that all the 21 stuff, uh, the pistol stuff, will be really easy to put in. You can do it in a practice or two. And if you're struggling as it is now, what's the difference? Like, yeah, junk it, put this, yeah. put this stuff in. I guarantee you, you'll get some better stuff. Okay, Josiah? Thanks, coach. Thanks. All right, we have Eli who wants to come on the stream. And don't forget, if you're out there and you want your comments uh, noted, I didn't see anything yet, but uh, Super Chat's the way to go. I see everybody out there. Uh, Pete is out there in Australia. And uh, everyone, let's see, Justin's very excited that uh, AD is back. So uh, I'm keeping my eye on the comments. And we have Eli in here who wants to discuss. Well, what do you want to discuss, Eli? How you doing, Coach? Good. Uh, What's happening? 
Uh, I'm just going to ask, you had mentioned something, I think you mentioned it a couple of months ago maybe, about um, your favorite uh, shooting strokes and whatever. And I know that there's like there's been a recent trend in like the mathematical approach that um, I don't really know exactly how this started, but like in terms of like this like model where if you look at how the ball, how you want the ball to enter the rim, like and you it, there's like some sort of like three model where three basketballs should be able to fit into the rim, and that's why if you actually shoot the ball at a 45 degree angle, the much higher chance of it getting in versus how like Clay Thompson shoots it, which is like. I'm not going to say it's a line drive, but it's not like Steph Curry's crazy arc. I mm-hmm. think you mentioned that you rather have your players shoot the Clay Thompson way versus the Curry way. I'm just curious why. Oh, you know, it's funny. I actually argue this with with Doc Scheffler, who's come on the show and is, is like Jeremy Lin's shooting coach. And, and we have a back and forth a lot because I really – you know, trust in his knowledge of this stuff, but he thinks it should be 41, 42, 43 degrees, which is like the Clay Thompson. I, I think it should be 48, you know, much closer. Well, so you like think in Steph Curry, I got confused. Okay. Now, now Steph Curry, it's funny because he shoots so deep, it might feel like it's even higher than that because the ball goes so high, but it's really because he's so far back that it ends up going you know, on that same trajectory. It gets like higher in, in some respects, but um, it, I believe, and listen, it depends if there's a guy closing out and this and that, whatever, but like the, you know, you're open and you have some time, whatever. I believe it's like the, you know, the 46, 47 degree higher than 45 is, is, is easier, better, ideal. Uh, Combo, you have any feelings for this? I know my shot didn't have a tremendous amount of arc, but I don't think that was like on purpose. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, I don't really, and I never really looked at like the mathematical side of it. Right. Well, you know, there's a great company that uh, was involved in the NBA. They have this awesome uh, thing that will track the arc of um, of your shot and also where it goes in the rim, because one of the guys was a sharpshooter uh, in, in Israel. So he looks at the rim like straight down as if it's a target where you're like, you know, the, the paper target where you're shooting in. And they discovered that the best shooters bunch their shots in a much smaller radius of uh, of where the ball goes in, like the center of the ball goes in than than worse shooters. And what that remember, means, well, yeah, go ahead. Remember that little rim they used to have, like to put in the rim? Do you remember that training? Yeah, device? yeah, right. Yeah, like I think for rebounding. Used it. Yeah. Well, we use it for rebounding, why. but yeah, you could get the ball to go in that, right? It, but it had to be exactly perfect, right? Exactly. Yeah. And then there was even a smaller one than that for rebounding. But when by the way, that's not even as, as, as specific what we're talking about. He it might be a great shooter. They might actually bunch their shots like three inches off center, right? It's not like directly uh, in the middle. Like, yeah. But they're bunched together consistently in the same spot. Now, if you're a bad shooter, you might maybe you do bunch them, but you're always bunched all the way to the left, like you're missing all the time that way. Which is, but but that they don't actually see that. What they see mostly is the shooters and aren't good at a percentage gen, tend to just it's the the grouping of dots where they go in the rim right. all over the place, and the good shooters bunch them up within like a four inch radius consistently. It, it's amazing. It looks just like a when you're when you're if you're you know shooting a gun at a target. That's what it looks like to them. And I almost feel like that could revolutionize the way we teach shooting if you start to visualize the ball that way. And how it's dropping in versus like staring at the rim, you know? Because again, I never understood a player who uh, I know guys who said, "Yeah, I, I kind of aim for the the air in the middle of the rim." I, I always needed something tangible, so I'd aim at the the rim, the, the closest to me. People say it's the back of the rim. So, but if you visualize, I always it, find that if you overthink yeah. it, it's worse. I don't know when I yeah, I think it's like, like kind of like leaning into the muscle memory of it. Yeah, That's- you know, what used to screw us up when we play like you know knockout or twenty whatever. It, somebody would be like, "Hey." Do you breathe in or out when you shoot? 
And I was like, oh crap, like it just, the whole day was ruined. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't and then I'm thinking about it. Right. But um, another great one to do, like if you're, if you're playing in a game and the guy has to make a free throw to win the game, ask him that while he's dribbling, getting ready. Um, but yeah, but either way, there's something about that that I think uh, was really cool. The best part about this, this, um, this, the thing that measures the arc and where it goes in was you need data and you need like in a lab, you need to have them shoot like 30 shots before you can do anything and look at it. So you can't coach them. They have to shoot, which is actually good because you don't overcoach. And I know I'm watching the guys shooting 20 or 25 in a row and I'm like desperate to say, hey, you know, this or say this. But no, to, in, in order to get the right data, they need to shoot, you know, the 25 or 30 without talking to them. Then you look at the, how the bunching is and the grouping. Then you can suggest something. Then they go back and shoot another 20. That, to me, is probably the best way to work with a guy that can play on a shot than micromanaging every freaking shot he takes and trying to add something every time. That just makes it all crazy. And that's interesting because if you think about KD makes, it seems like he's making it in the same spot in the basket every single time, and he's obviously yeah. a great shooter. There's no question they have the data. All the good shooters, I don't think they had found one that didn't do that. You know, didn't mm -hmm. what didn't have the ability to bunch. And it makes perfect sense. It's almost like, of course, but but I like that idea. Is that you're you're trying to you know figure out a way where you're putting the ball in you know at a consistent bunching uh, of the rim, and that will make you a consistent shooter. Um, I, I want to ask an NBA question. Yeah. Um, uh, I, 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 this is not like exactly like the most underperforming team. That being said, I do think the Celtics are underperforming. Um, do you, do you understand like exactly what's going on? Why Tatum and Brown can't play together, what they can do? Well, that? they don't have yeah. enough. I think they don't have enough connective pieces, guys that can, you know, connect those ISO type players. And I think the league is going away from ISO ball and those players are kind of dependent on that. And on top of that, they're not efficient in their ISOs this season. So I think it's a big mess right now, but they definitely need like a point guard or Tyrese Halliburton would be perfect for them, as I always say, just somebody who can connect the team. Well, okay. Yeah, go ahead. I, I feel like teams are kind of going away from the traditional, like, oh, we have our superstar and then we have a point guard running our offense that like get, make sure everyone That's gets true. That's true, so yeah. I kind of feel like it's like, on Brown and Tatum to change their style and kind of get everyone more involved. Like, yeah. I kind of see them as like four versions of Kawhi and Paul George of like not as talented but still like getting their points without each other helping out it's like you can be really good but not great like that and yeah, I think but, but both of those guys yeah both of those guys are worse you know Kawhi was never great at facilitating and setting people up and he, but he's gotten better over his years until he's you know he averages like what five and a half six assists a game he got to a point where he was good at he's that. still hogs yeah, but but it was never his role really to be that guy. And you know, one of these guys like Jalen Brown to me should be the it could be a shooting guard where it's not his role. Like Clay Thompson's not going to set people up very much at all either. But when you have two of those guys and they're ball yeah. dominant, it's a problem. Um, you know, listen, it's been well documented for me. First of all, they're they're, they're shooting pretty pretty crappy. Um, they don't actually their three point frequency is about average, which is good. I thought I was worried it was higher than that. They're, they're jacking up a lot of threes and they're missing a lot of them, but they're not making a lot, and that's going to hurt them because they're going to get outscored from the three point line more often than not, and that's going to hurt you in this league. Um, you know, Marcus Smart has always been the guy who I've been frustrated with to no end, and I feel like he he puts a ceiling on the team no matter what you want to do with the other two. Um, and so whether or not you can figure out that they can work together, I, I you know Smart is is an issue. I don't like the Schroeder fit at all either. Um, that's a problem for me. It just doesn't work really well where he's the, how he's playing it to my mind. And, uh, yeah, then you get to, you know, then they start relying on certain guys who just really aren't guys you can rely on if you want to be a good team. Uh, I'm sure they're, they're, they're nice guys or good locker room guys, but you know, if you're, if you're relying on, um, Al gosh, Horford, 
Well, Al Harford is one, but who's the who's the stocky uh, forward they oh, have? Uh, Grant, Grant Williams. Williams. Grant Williams. You know, uh, he's probably playing 20 minutes a game, and if you have to play him 20 minutes a game, then you're going to have you know you're, you're, that's you're not going to be a great team. He's actually better it. than I thought. I, I used to be pr- pretty low on him. He's actually I mean, not bad. I, I don't even want to say he's bad. He's just limited, and and you know, yeah, that's and, true. And so Grant Williams, let's see, he's playing 23 minutes a game. It's like. You know, it, that's the problem. It's he's just limited, and um, you know, and 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 then it, it gets it gets thin right after the top two, you know, or three. So, you know, that's the other reason I like. I don't Robert know why. Williams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Payton Pritchard is somebody who's helping them a little bit right now. He's been playing really well, but he wasn't getting opportunity in the beginning of the season. I never knew why. I saw him play in summer league, and he was head and shoulders above that competition. Yeah. So I wanted him to see play. I wanted to see him play more regular season basketball, but he is a little bit now. Yeah, I got to do a deeper dive and see what EMA is running. I want to kind of get a handle on what they're doing there because Brad is still there, so I'm sure there's still a lot of that stuff they were that they had from him. But, um, yeah, it's a disappointing result from what, what what seemed to be a really big, promising, you know, decade of really great basketball from Boston. And now it's they're going to have to probably break this up. I would actually trade Tatum if I were them. I so you think the move high. is to split up the superstars? Say it again? You think the move is to split up the superstars? You don't think they can learn to coexist? together no i don't think so i, I think the team is it's just kind of a, a miss miss you know the team isn't put together properly i mean i would trade marcus smart and and that would probably do something but i, I don't would imagine them. i don't know why but uh I, I mean listen he dies for loose balls which i don't know if you've ever you know I, I, loose balls is not my thing but he dies for loose balls and he hits a three or two but then he you know it takes really bad stuff and um um you know it, it's frustrating so uh, well, listen, Anthony, Eli, we have people who want to come on the show all of a sudden. We have a long queue, but thanks for coming on right, the show. So, uh, I appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much. You got it. All right, hey, Anthony. Coach Nick. Yes. Coach Nick, yeah. Oh, Anthony, yeah, he's in the private chat. I don't know. He is because he's probably got to go. I feel bad even making him wait, but you, you want to make a quick point? Oh, no, no, no. I was just saying because he was – I didn't – Yeah. yeah. I Anthony. just realized we have a private chat. That's really cool. That's what I'm saying. I was like, yeah. Was All like, right, cool. So, Anthony, are you there or did we lose you? I hope he's still there, but he's muted right now. But let's see if he's going to come on. Um he does say, well, here's the question he asked. Maybe he'll, he'll join us in a minute. Um, do you think the Westbrook trade for John Wall is good, thinking that both they are the same? Maybe Wall is just more consistent, but do not, But do you think it's going to help the Lakers to have Wall? Well, the Lakers have already come out and said they're not going to move him, right? I think that came out. It was pretty clear. Then they're not going to make a change at all. Uh, they're going to put their eggs in the basket of uh, Anthony Davis, which I had said before, like a few weeks ago, uh, even though the video I did on Sunday was pretty negative in theory about, you know, um, about um, – the Lakers in general, I don't know whether or not, you know, AD would, would make, would shift it enough. Um, it did feel like, you know, there was enough competition in certain areas and certain evidence that said, you know, geez, if they just get Anthony Davis here, then, um, then that'll fix a lot of things so far. How are we doing right now with the score? Oh, I don't know. Point. They're keeping, they also said there's reports that they're going with Frank Vogel for the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that you can go from, we're going to fire him the next game to like, just kind of guaranteeing he's going to stay, but we'll see. We'll, you know, I'm not so sure. Like, okay, the LeBron thing, playing, uh, making Melo play the five while he's out there, that's not Vogel, right? No, no coach in the right mind would look at the five out there and be like, yeah, yeah, Melo, you're going to anchor the defense and and protect the rim, right? That, that, yeah, like, but do you think LeBron? Do you think that LeBron, with the IQ that he has, would think that's conducive either? You know what I mean? I I just think that well, no. The, the point I'm making then is LeBron is telling Vogel, "I am not going to do that." Right? Yeah, I mean, but LeBron LeBron's IQ is so high, he has to know that's not the way to go. 
You know? Well, kind of, but he's he's also done things uh, and controlled things that you know a coach should be doing, uh, and not him. In the past, it, it didn't matter. It didn't. He didn't necessarily recognize that. So you know, he 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 probably thinks that he does know all the uh, more than maybe he does, even though he's he, he listen. He's got the highest IQ of anyone in the league, without question. But there's a bit of a blind spot, as everyone does, when you're talking about yourself and what you can do and what you can't do. So, um, mm-hmm. anyhow. We got some more people who want to come on. So what do you think? We should bring them in? Let's do bring it. Bring them in. All right. Enki. Oh, wow. Hi, How coach. are you? Yeah, Welcome. Um, yeah. Hi. Um, I watched a video on, on Lakers yesterday, I think, about them coming back. And I was hoping that once they get into a, to the playoff, you know, once they get, get to play the same team for like, you know, after seven times, I, I'd hope that it, they do better. What do you think on that? The, uh, the Lakers with Anthony Davis in the playoffs? Like, just in general, you know, now they're having, you know, all these defensive issues and all that. Um, would that be kind of solved by playing the same team over and over? Oh, right, like in a playoff series. Uh, you know, it's a good question. I, I think it's a matchup thing, right? There's going to be teams that they, they might struggle to really handle. But, um, you know, as it is now, like, what's the, like, the standings, like how high could they possibly go if, if AD stays healthy, by the way, and everyone else stays healthy? Uh, right now they're eighth. You know, maybe they get the sixth spot. Maybe right. Um, let's see, because they're eighth and they are fourteen and a half games behind. Uh, you know, it, it's all kind of bunched up. They could maybe move sixth or fifth. They're still going to be on the road. You know, which is going to be tough in a playoff series. And um, they're still going to have to deal with like what's Russell Westbrook going to do in the playoffs. We don't. I don't know right. if we know. It's been a little yeah. while. Um, so I, I feel like you know they. I, the second round feels like a good you know place where they might end up. Uh, you know, and ending their season. What do you think, Combo? I think that we haven't seen enough from Russell, AD, and LeBron together. And the small sample size that we have shows that they played pretty well. Yeah. I haven't lost all hope for them, to be honest. And I think they can make a run in the playoffs even deeper than the second round. I always do that, and I'm always made a fool. So listen to Combo. And LeBron, I mean, LeBron is really playing at a high, high, high level. You know, he's the reason why they're in eighth right now. I mean, He's playing great. Malik Monk is obviously doing great, and they're finding some different things with some of their role players. But I haven't lost all hope. It's still early. I mean, I know we, we could say this is early forever, but, you know, we didn't even get to all-star break. You never know how things could change. Oh, I know. I'm trying to look up the uh, – the. oh, here it is. Uh, LeBron, Westbrook, and Davis three-man lineup is – oh, okay. 15 games, 291 minutes. Their net rating is only plus 3.7. Oh, wow. That's a lot lower than I had thought people were telling me. And then maybe maybe last – no, this is the first game back for him, right? Uh, that's not that great, plus 3.7. That's not good, by the way. So uh, that's a little that's troubling to me. Now, again, small sample size, but 15 yeah. games is like, you know, 15 games is 15 games. But uh, we're, we need another 15 games, and then we can decide what we uh, what we think about it. Yeah, hey, and I got a one more question, and then I'm probably done. Now. Okay. Well, one more question regarding the Lakers again. Uh, what do you think on the Bronx minutes? Because to me, it feels it feels little too much. But like, if you look at if I look at the Warriors and all that, Warriors the Steph minutes are very well managed. Uh, but LeBron's, I think I, I constantly see LeBron playing like thirty eight minutes all the time. Yeah, and he's getting up there in the age. So what do you what do you think about? I'm really, really worried. He's he's already bro- broken down a little bit earlier this year, and um, the more minutes he plays, the more uh, likely that's going to happen again. And uh, so, in my mind, they have to somehow figure out how to get him down below 35. 
or at 35. And if they can't do that, then I think it's going to hurt them in the playoffs anyway. Now, the playoffs, he's going to play 40 minutes a game. Um, you know what? You know what's interesting about that, and you know, combo too is is that um, let's you know when Steph was playing 32 minutes a game in his you know MVP years. Remember that they were you know they're blowing everybody out. He's playing 32, 33 minutes. The argument could then be that he's not in shape enough to play uh, uh, for the playoffs to play 39 minutes because he hasn't been doing it. And it's it's a mental thing too, not necessarily just um, you know your uh, your cardio. So in some yeah. respects, okay, if LeBron can make it through and not get injured from all those extra minutes, then yeah, he's playoff ready to go. And, and, and he's in great rhythm. He's in yeah. great rhythm. Um, I, what, what I do think is going to happen is he'll load manage a few games right before the playoffs. Actually, not right before the playoffs. I'd say like a month before and then ramp back up towards the playoffs if I had to guess. Like we're going to see like maybe some fake small injuries. I don't want to say fake, but – you know, yeah. just load management type injuries. Well, the only problem is they're going to obviously want to avoid the play-in, and so that's really what's going to happen. If it, he'll be able to do that without without question, if they're a, a solid. Um, wait, the play-in is seven through ten, right? Yep. So yeah, that's that's going to be tough. I don't know if they're going to be able to get in that position. He might he might not be able to uh, to load manage much. They they might be in a fight to stay out of that seventh spot. And um, right now they're eighth, but uh, you know what I mean. That's that's what you got to look for is the record. Yeah, that is true. That is true. All right, Enki, thanks right. so much. Yeah, thank you, Coach. All right, we got we, the people keep coming in here. This is great. We got Terrence who wants to come on the on the show. Terrence, what's up, my man? Hey, what's up? Hey, hey, welcome. How you to guys the show. doing? We're Good. Doing well, thanks, Terrence. Thank what, you. What do you want to talk about? Uh, so I had a question. Um, um, so what do you think if the Lakers traded, uh, Westbrook, Tht, and Nunn for? John Wall and Eric Gordon. You think that would work? I think Eric Gordon would really help him. Yeah, I've been tweeting that and talking about that for a while. Like two guys that I think could really help them are Robert Covington and Eric Gordon. So, I mean, I think that trade definitely makes sense for the Lakers. Um, Would used to do that? I don't know. Um, Well, I think they probably have to add maybe Reeves or a pick. It's for some reason, I think it's not like Houston doesn't want to trade Eric Gordon. Yeah, but I feel like they're just doing that to raise his value. That's what I believe. Like, first of all, you don't need him there right now. He's only going to help you win. You're not really looking to win. You're looking to develop young talent. And yeah. second of all, he could help another team. So, I mean, it's just better for everybody for him to move on, I think. I hear you. I, he should, for sure. He'll help. He could have a lot of teams. Um, so, the, yeah, Wall, instead of, instead of Russ on the margins, probably is a little bit better for L.A., probably. You know, I, I think Wall ended up, you know, finishes better at the rim. It's hard to know exactly where he's at at this point because we haven't really seen him play in any kind of meaningful games in a while. But um, higher IQ, a little bit better spacing. Yeah, well, uh, he's not going to shoot any better than Russ, is he? I don't think so. Yes, he is. I think so. I I think he's a little better. I think he's around thirty-two percent, thirty-three maybe. And he's not. (laughs) And he's not going to shoot you out of the game and take a whole bunch of them. Uh, yeah, but I, I think Russ has cut him down to you know, let's see. Wall, you know, you know, he last year was uh, you know thirty two percent. Yeah, he's he's a thirty two percent three three point shooter. Russ maybe is what twenty nine or thirty whatever. It's it's I don't see much difference there. Um, you know, if you're a thirty one percent free throw three point shooter and or versus twenty nine, like it's it's bad. So, um, but uh, I don't know. And then you got the locker room stuff. You got to figure that out. I don't know how that works as far as for us versus Wall either. But um, you know, I, I think that, I think if if you if, if 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 they needed to get Eric Gordon and they had to switch that the rust for Wall, then I probably would do that. Yeah. Coach Nick Martin is saying check the super chat. By the way, do you think? Oh no, 
It didn't pop up on the, in my comments. Oh, here it is. I see it, but that's so weird. I didn't see it. Um, sorry, 10 minutes ago. Yikes. Uh, Mar okay. Well, listen, Terrence, uh, anything else you want to talk about real quick? Terrence? No? Uh, no. That's All right. And we're, it. Okay. And we're losing you. Okay. Let's get... So, Martin Jose, forgive me. Thank you so much for the super chat. That's how you get your, your chats. Let's put them on the screen. Boom. There it is. Who do you think has the best shooting form in the NBA? Uh, I will throw this to you, Combo, first. What are your thoughts? I think Patty Mills. Ooh, ooh, yeah. I like Patty Mills' form. I was actually thinking about this question today, watching him shoot. Like, I don't yeah. know a lot of people with better form than Patty Mills, but I'm sure there are people that could think of somebody better. That's just who comes to mind right now. Like, I really like the way he shoots the basketball. Yeah, I mean, there's always Clay, which is like, you know, it's it's like, you know, who's your favorite band? The Beatles. So you don't need to talk about that. Let's get into exactly like, yeah, like, yeah, like you know, so uh, yeah, so that's Patty a little Mills. bit outside of the box answer. You know, I, I it's funny. Do I like like Karis Levert shot? I, I think I like, you know, Joe Harris, by the way, I think I like. Um, but who are who's uh, somebody else I really like? It's just well, George has a place. really smooth shot. Yeah, yeah, he's got a really nice looking one too. Yeah, I like smooth and effortless, you know, like that Tracy McGrady style of, of scoring. Oh, but okay. um, but so you guys know, that could get, guys that can do it in multiple ways, like off the dribble, it looks nice. Catch and shoot, it looks nice. Just it, the rhythm is just nice and easy, and you know you're not you're not you know hanging in the air too much and forcing it. So yeah, that was um, like a nine. That was like a nineties thing when everybody was like kind of robotic, getting high in the air, trying to do like their MJ thing, right? Yeah, was, I, probably yeah. even earlier than that too. Yeah, before, yeah. before the three was a thing. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. And by the way, so I, I noticed one comment in the comments that's uh, Nikosi asks, no, no love for the comment section. Well, we give the love for the comment section if it, when we get super chats. That's the love we give. We might grab a couple random ones from the middle of that in the contents, but I'll, I'll keep my eye on the YouTube side for any more uh, super chats. Forgive me for blowing that. Uh, it didn't pop up uh, in my stream yard uh, as, as clearly as it usually does. Um, listen, we got somebody wants to come on the show, but I got it. I want to do this uh, diagramming stuff. All right, let's do one more person right now, and then don't come on the show. Don't request it for a few minutes. I'm gonna we're gonna do this. Oh, I keep pressing the wrong button. Uh, but Arbor, how are you, my man? Uh, kinda. Uh oh, it's really really muffled though. Yeah, are you are you are you okay? <laughs> I think it's my mic from the ah. AirPods. It's not good. Okay, but now you sound whatever. fine. Uh, just a quick question. Uh, uh, so I was watching the Boston Celtics versus Kings game, I, and the Kings are now losing by 40. And oh, that made me think of, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of bad. Uh, that made me think that uh, at some point they're going to break up the backcourt of I lost that last sentence. What was the last thing you said? Gonna have to break up the backcourt of yeah. Halliburton and Fox at some point. That's my opinion, anyways. Uh, which one would you choose? I would keep Halliburton. I, I really like how he plays. And in fact, I got to go a deeper dive this year. I, last year, I went through his game a lot, but um, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, listen, Fox is really, really good in that sort of John Wall, Kentucky point guard mold. Really good athlete. Um, actually, does Fox shoot? Let me see what he's shooting from three these days. Well, he's not. He's not playing well this season. You know. You know, it's funny. I looked it up the other day because I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't watched hardly any Kings games. So you say he's not playing well, but you know, he's scoring like 21 a game. But yeah, he's shooting 25% from three and just breaking, breaking back there. He doesn't look engaged. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. So so obviously it's like he doesn't want to be there or whatever. Something's off with him. So you probably just, you yeah. trade him. Uh, but then again, his value is now you, lower. I was, 
you know what? I was talking about this on Twitter Spaces, um, and my guy Pierre from Through the Wire was kind of – he didn't agree with me at all. If I was yeah. in the air of De'Aaron Fox, I would tell him, you might as well try and lead the league in scoring. Like, you might as well just go out there because – it's only going to hurt yourself if you're not engaged and not playing well, you know. If mm-hmm. you're on a bad team, just go for stats. Why not? Yeah. Absolutely. Know? I hear you. Um yeah, so there and, and and by the way, he averaged 25 a game last year and shot much better. So there's there's definitely evidence there that he's he's good and he can do that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's just uh the, the the whole Kings organization, it's all just a mess over there it sounds like and they can't get it, get it right. Um so that's that's brutal. I'm I'm assuming like they you know the Kings don't have, uh, let's see here. Well, Harrison Barnes, Halliburton, Holmes, Bagley, and Davis. So they have they and Heald is playing too. They don't have um, Fox, but uh, everybody else is there. They shouldn't be losing with 40 to the Celtics fall people, even though it's on the road in Boston. But um, yeah, so that's what I would do. I'd break up. I would keep Halliburton um, if I were them. It is you know better contract and and a lot of potential. And on the other hand, if I was Daryl Morey, I wouldn't make that trade without. Tyrese Halliburton involved, right? Or ben. Like, like I would do Harrison Barnes and Tyrese. I would do Fox and Tyrese, but I wouldn't do Harrison and Fox if I was Daryl. Right, I hear you. I like in Philly. I think that would be very good. But yeah, yeah. So, well, Arbor, I got to get to some drawing, but thanks for the question. I appreciate it. I hope you're. I hope you're okay. I hope you're not in you know in in somewhere underneath underground. Okay. Are you ready? I'm looking at the starting lineup of the Minnesota Timberwolves. They are plus 30 in net rating. It's so much higher than any other lineup in the NBA. They are literally so dominating people. Wait, we have a super chat real quick. Sorry. Uh, Oh, our best friend of the breakdown, BB Coach JW33. Let's put him on the screen. Uh, Can you blame Harden for wanting to leave as noncommittal as Kyrie has been to the team where do you see Harden making one last run in the free agency? It's a little bit tough to call Kyrie noncommittal because he's got a stand about vaccines. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's not an intelligent stand, but like, you know, supposedly in this, in this country, you're allowed to, to have your beliefs. Um, but, but, but can I blame Harden for wanting to get out of there? Cause now, yeah, we're hearing that Harden doesn't, you know, wants to, you know, experience free agency and maybe get out of there. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if I blame him is the right word, but certainly, um, you know, I don't know. I, I wonder if, if if it's all you know, cookies and ice cream with those guys back uh, in in Brooklyn, as it is. You know, that's I thought it was going to be. What do you think, Combo? Coach Nick, he had a great working relationship with Daryl Morey. I believe if he does leave the Nets, he'll go to the Sixers. And people have been talking about that, but that's what's not talked about enough. Like when he went with D'Antoni and Morey, he's, his career really exploded, and I'm sure he wants to get back to that. Yeah. Uh, that sounds fair to me, and that, that all makes sense. And so uh, that this is probably why Maury feels like he can kind of wait on the Simmons thing because – but then again, you're going to waste a whole other year of uh, Embiid's prime, which seems really rough too. So I think the whole NBA is trending away from stagnation in ISO basketball if you really watch it and which teams are really playing well. The only way you could do well in a stagnant type offense is if you have like a KD, you know, or if you have 
a Michael Jordan. Then you could go to ISO ball. You almost have to defy the odds, you know? Right. But Michael Jordan learned the hard way that like all those ISOs got a lot easier when you had a lot of movement into it. And then he got just hyper efficient with attacking right on the catch and doing his, his turnaround fadeaways from the bait from the post right away, you know, because he didn't want to get banged upon and have to rely maybe on a ref to call a foul or not call a foul. Just get your shot, get it, you know, attack before the defense is ready. Uh, It's really the best way to play in my mind. That's that Euro sense too, that run and, and, and catch um, right. stuff that they do uh, is is really cool. I mean, if you can make an NBA top talent play like EuroLeague style of play, I mean, that's almost unstoppable. I mean, the Warriors took some of it from, you know, international play, you know? I mean, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Very, yeah. yeah. And they have some international guys on their, on their, uh, on their, um, exactly uh, on their bench right now so without question yes there there there's a let's all coming in this way so it's great it's great to see and it'll make the game more interesting to watch and now that the referees are letting the players play a little bit more on defense like it, it becomes more of a okay let's see what's going to happen a little more of a surprising game here because i thought that was the other problem was it was just too easy for the offense it's, you know the last several years there was you couldn't really do anything on defense um and then hopefully we'll get some more of these guys like Lou uh Lou Dort and um uh, Thibault and those guys who are like all stars on the defensive end, you know, and they, they deserve more more love. Yeah, Thibault is super unique as a defender, man. Super yeah. athletic. Yeah, yeah. He, by the way, when I pointed this out, he uses a lot of the offensive footwork on defense, and we need to do that uh, more. We need to be able to use the same kind of split and go that we use when we attack on the catch on the wing, just like you know on on defense, and that's the same kind of uh, uh, explosive movements that you can mirror and uh, and be much better. He does that without question. You watch him; he looks like he's shooting a floater on a lot of his contests, like from behind, right? He's doing the floater footwork, even though he isn't on the ball. He's on defense. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, and you know that makes such a difference. Every split second makes so much of a difference in, at the NBA level, right? For like, sure. Yeah, that, that's the difference between a block or a good contest or three points. And yeah. Over time, that all adds up. Well, listen, combo. This has been a great conversation, and it went places I had no idea where it was going to go because that's what's the the best part about this whole thing. Um, but we're, we're we're I think we're at our at the end here. Anything you want to shout out? Combo's Court Podcast. Go rate, review, subscribe, tune in. And uh, thanks so much, Coach Nick, for having me back on your platform. Can't, can't wait to continue this with you. Yes, just just like Bruce Dickinson needs more cowbell, we need more combo. And so you got to go follow his um, – uh, <laughs> oh, I, I, did, did I just go over your head? Are you not aware of the SNL sketch with Bruce I was Dickinson? Like, I was like, where is he going with this? That's why I was like, got a, he, like I need, watching something on TV? I got a fever, and, and the only the cure is more cowbell. Uh, it's you know it's Christopher Walken on Saturday Night Live and they're the recording uh, "Don't Fear the Reaper" with the cow, the famous cowbell. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go watch it right now on YouTube. It's the funniest thing, and uh, freaking Fallon and uh, and Parnell are like we keep laughing in the background. Uh, but anyway, check out uh, Combo's podcast. Uh, I'll, I will promise to post this. I think tomorrow soon. I screwed up last time. I didn't do it, but I will uh, post it as a, as a uh, audio pod as well on my feed. Uh, ASAP. Uh, and uh, don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, not a channel, we're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Combo? Coach Nick, we're all in.